navigate the journey to becoming a great lawyer with expert guidance on topics that range from trial skills to corner office management. Here you will learn how to tap into your potential for legal greatness. I'm Andrew Smiley, and this is The Mentor, ESQ. Thank you all for joining me on this very special interview episode of the Mentor ESQ podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about something a little bit different than the typical lawyer stuff. Many of you know uh, that there is an organization that I've been very proud to be connected to called The Water Project. And The Water Project is an organization that works very hard to bring clean, potable water to uh, small villages, schools, uh, and people in sub-Saharan Africa. And I got involved with the Water Project probably about seven or eight years ago. And I remember being on a subway in New York City on my commute to work and reading an article in the news about the Water Project and uh, what good work was being done. And it sort of struck me, it struck a chord with me because I couldn't believe that in with all the technology we have today, uh, everything that's going on and all the material things that I see on my commute just to Midtown Manhattan around me, that there are still people that you know don't have clean water, that the simple act of taking a sip of water or turning on a faucet doesn't exist. Not only that it doesn't exist, but the 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 difficulties in getting that water and people that would have to travel for miles and barefoot and drinking bad water and, and getting sick and, and what happens, the snowball effect of that, just how horrific it was. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to get involved in giving, which I hadn't really been involved in at that time, and I wanted to, uh, this is the type of organization I want to get involved in. And I did. And uh, many years later now, I've been very fortunate to have been involved in numerous projects uh, to help bring water to others. And uh, the Water Project is just phenomenal. And that's why anything that I do that normally could be uh, sold or to make money off of, such as my eBooks, my podcasts, anything that could generate fees, all those fees go to the Water Project. I don't take anything on those. Um, I have a campaign. If you're watching this video, you can see the backdrop where I'm always looking to raise money. And I thought it would be wonderful to share with you. Uh, I reached out to the Water Project and I asked if they'd be kind enough to see if their founder and president, Peter Chassie, if he would be interested in joining me for a podcast. And he's here. And thank you so much for coming. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm glad we got a chance to do this. It's really been fun to be in relationship with you over the past number of years and, and to watch your philanthropy grow. And, and, and as you've gotten into this work to understand what we're doing, just to see your passion grow in this too. It's, it's been a blast. So thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. And first of all, can you, can you give us an overview of what the Water Project is, what the Water Project does, you know, who's behind it? How does it work? You know, just, you know, give us first an overview of things and then we can, you know, we can get into it and talk a little bit more. Yeah, I love to talk about our, our, you know, our sort of um, our growth as an organization, because I think in a lot of ways it's it's a lot how you know, even donors like you that come to this grow in their understanding of what we do and how they can be involved and how close that they can get to the work. And um, but the Water Project, it, most simply, is we're an organization that's providing water and sanitation solutions to people in rural um, sub-Saharan Africa. So Eastern and Central Kenya, Uganda, Sierra Leone. Um, it's rural and that these folks are outside of the urban areas of those countries. They're often the last served by government if they ever get served because they're so far from the city centers and they just, they're suffering needlessly without water. Um, and that's a really important set of words for us that suffering needlessly. Um, one, as you you know started to describe, it, it is suffering. I mean, these most often young girls and women are carrying water over, you know, a mile distance early in the morning, late at night when it's dangerous, when they're alone on the road, and they're gathering water that's dirty and making themselves and their families sick. Um, that's the suffering. And it's needless because in the places that we're working, it's not a lack of water. It's a lack of access to water. So that water's trapped underground. Maybe it falls from the sky. There's nowhere to trap it. It's a spring that, you know, maybe flows out of the side of a mountainside, but is just filthy dirty because no one has known how to take care of it and protect it. But when you think about it, that's needless suffering. The solution is as, as, as close as a dollar uh, or a few dollars and some folks that can, 
ha- that have the expertise to put these projects together um, to get water to these communities and then make it last. And so what we do is we work with our, our local teams, which are in most country, uh, most places are autonomous organizations. Um, so they're local non-governmental organizations is what they're called. A group of people that care about their own community, much like we have community development folks here in the United States that, you know, work in the, um, in neighborhoods in, in New York City. Uh, these folks are working in their own neighborhoods and communities. They know these people. They're in relationship with them. They live there. And we're like a backbone. You know, we provide the services, the the training, equipment, funds, um, the kind of business acumen skills that we can bring. Some they'll bring us to the table as well. They know their markets better than we do. Um, and we get them the investment that they need to repair a broken down water point, to protect a water spring, to catch water off of a roof and store it safely in a tank. Or, you know, what we all kind of know is the, the image of getting water, which is a hand pump. Um, someone that's pumping water out of the ground. We do those too, both rehabs and new installations. And so, you know, as an organization, we started much like a donor. Uh, we were a donor. Uh, we um, saw, we heard of the problem, like you and I can tell you that story. Uh, and we got involved and we found people that were doing this work and we went out and fundraised, you know, much like your family's done. I think around the holidays a couple of years ago, um, your family did this and we started there and that's where we learned about this work and we learned what worked, and we started to learn what wasn't working. And as we got to that point, we were building relationships with these teams that I just mentioned on the ground and realized there's a real place for us to dig in as a, no pun intended, as an, as an implementing um, backbone to bring these organizations together to equip them more fully and really to begin to scale this work. And so that's kind of where we are today, 15, almost 16 years later. That's hard to believe. Can you give us an idea of the scope of um, this, the team, your team, the people on the ground, or how many um, places you've you brought water to or how many people yeah. you've affected, what the reach is? Are you big? Are you small? Can you give us a sense of that? You know, it's interesting. I think we're a small organization that's having a, an out, a, much, a, a very outsized impact in the water sector as a whole. So I say small because a lot of water organizations will measure their their bigness by how many water points they put in the ground. The thing that we've learned over the years is a lot of those water points don't work anymore. And so it's it's a little bit of a false count to say, well, we, you know, we installed a thousand, but only, you know, 200 of them still work. Um, so for us, we're working in um, three different countries at the moment. As, as I mentioned, it was uh, Kenya, Uganda, and Sierra Leone. In those countries, um, I think the combined number of people getting water today is approaching 700,000. So that's a number that we'd look at every morning. Um, that's live data from the field. We actually uh, posted on our website uh, across the various water project reports of people that are actually being served today. So we're not counting anybody where things have broken down. We're not counting things where we've lost touch. Um, this is the number of people that we know we're serving on a daily basis. So that gives you a kind of a sense of the scale. We've often up here in New England, we'll count that in number of uh, you know, uh, Patriot stadiums of people. It helps us get our head around it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's a lot of people uh, in terms of like the reach just in one of the areas we work in Western Kenya alone, the geographic reach of the program is like the state of uh, New Hampshire um, in terms of width. Uh, and it goes all the way down to what would be the Massachusetts border from where we are, in, you know, in Concord, our, our headquarters. Um, and that's just one of the places that we work where we're trying to saturate a region. And then in terms of the number of people that it takes to do all this, you know, we have about um, 14 or so people in the headquarters, um, which is here in Concord or in different offices. You know, we're all working remotely these days around the states. Um, But then there's 120, 140 people that are directly employed in the work that we're investing in in the throughout the different partners and and, uh, teams that we have on the ground. So it's uh, a. um, it's a oh, and then we have our yeah regional service hub, which is another twenty folks that are directly employed by us, uh, twenty plus. Um, that's in Kenya, which is a new thing that we're that we've been developing over the last couple of years. So, yeah, that gives a sense of kind of the scope. Now, in terms of you know, are we the biggest water charity out there? And by, you know, by no means. There are others that are doing uh, you know work at, at a larger scale. But what we are really focused on is this idea of delivering clean. Um, safe and reliable water. And all of those things have to be true. And clean first time water is relatively easy. Safe water is harder and reliable water is even harder than that. And so that's been the big, and I want to call it change that's happened over 15 years, is this understanding that for this work to be truly effective, right, for people's lives to really be changed by it, water has to flow every single day. And that's the challenge. And so the first part of that for us was bringing that truth to light 
some folks were beginning to uncover that. We really just kind of went for it and said, we're just going to post all of our data online and show people whether this stuff's working. Um, and then, you know, look out in the larger sector. And then people are starting to wake up and say, you know, people are doing research and finding 40, 50, 60% of installed water points didn't work anymore. Um, that's not solving the water crisis. <laughs> that's just moving it from one organization to the next. And so in terms of our legacy as an organization, our legacy is going to be moving moving the entire water sector to a place of, of sustainability and to a place of reliability of water. What does it mean to serve actual people every single day? And as we've been doing that well, then you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives well beyond our direct impact um, happens. And so you know, as an investor in the water project, it's more than just the water point that you've put in. It's, it's the expectation that water should flow every day that literally is flowing outside of our organization. As a, as a donor, um, I've been impressed with the amount of information that I receive. Uh, and I think that it's important that people know that. One of the things with, it's not easy for people to get involved, I think, in charity and in giving money for causes because there's a lot of suspicion. There's a lot of uncertainty that if you're giving money, what is it going to? Even to you know very well-known big companies, big, wonderful organizations, you write your check, they say thank you, and you really don't know how it's going to play out or, or what's happening. And um, and I'm approached personally and professionally for a lot of causes. And what I've learned through the Water Project, which I think is just phenomenal that you do, is that um, is that you educate the donors. So I've learned a lot, and I'll share a little bit of what I've learned. But in addition to that, you provide so much detailed information before, during, and after the project. So to give our, our listeners a, a sort of an idea, one of the things that I've done is I've learned a lot from working with you and your team. I've learned the different ways that water can be brought. You can do a big catch basin, which is basically a big tank is built to catch fresh water that can be used. You can build um, these wells in, out of sand and put pumps in, and it's natural drainage in certain areas that are designed and built in special dams. I think they're called sand dams, something yeah. to that. Uh, different types of pumps, different types of irrigation, ways to bring water in that I didn't know about. And then what I learned was that it's not just about bringing water to drink or wash your hands with. It, it just, it, it's, there's a snowball effect to having water has allowed them to save it, to keep their crops going, to sell their crops, to make money. Having water helps them to clean their hands, to prevent bacteria, to keep kids from getting, and family members from getting ill. Uh, and then the water project also is involved in education, that you have teams of people that go, and after the water's installed, showing people, children and adults, how to wash their hands. You know, what sanitation is, that things that we take for granted in the Western world that, People just, they don't know, you know? And so, and then I'm able to, and any donor who wants to get involved, to pick the projects to get involved in. And you, you so I was able to see each time I would get pictures of a village or a school. And I think, you know, most of the projects I've been involved in have been schools, having a, a daughter of school age there's nothing better for me than, than seeing the joy on children's faces and, and the thought of my daughter not being able to get fresh water at school and that their kids out there um, made me want to get involved with all the school opportunities. And so first it starts off with seeing pictures of these kids walking two miles barefoot to try and get water. And you hear from the teachers of, of how difficult it is, how it affects their ability to learn and to be healthy. And then you get involved in the project and then I get updates and I see photographs of the wells being built and the catch basins being built. And then you get photographs, uh, you get updates of the project. Then you get photographs when it's done and videos and you see the pure joy and smile on the children and the people's faces as water is running from this tap. It is just the, the it's so hard to put into words the joy that 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 it brings me and my family and my daughters you know did a project to raise money uh for her bat mitzvah uh, for uh, a school and the the school kids came out with their teacher and they recorded a video and called her a hero and thanked her and sent us this video and it just it brings tears to our eyes i have it actually up on my website uh if anyone wants to check it out if you go to the mentor esq and go to the water project you can see this video it's up there and we're obviously we have 
the, the links uh, in the description of this podcast for the water project. And you could go to the mentor ESQ website to, to learn more and see the links. But now there's an app on the phone that I just pulled up today and it shows my impact of over a thousand people just from the projects I've been involved in getting water shows the status of everything. You could see all the pictures. So there's an intimacy of, of connecting and you and your team have been kind enough to share with me that if the time comes that I'm willing and able to travel uh, over to Kenya or Uganda to where we've been involved, that you'll make sure that we can go meet the, the, the village people and the schools and see the work. And I can't wait for that day to come. It will come. And so I want to thank you for allowing me to get involved in this way. But I just, I thought it'd be important to share for people that are hesitant to give. And you don't have to give a lot because you don't have to fund a whole project. You could you can join in on any project, give $30. I mean, anything. So if you could share, you know, what, what you're hearing from me and how that relates to how the water project um, is so special. Yeah, you know, it, it started for us. Um, and thank you for that. It's incredibly kind words. Uh, and because it, 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 you know, hearing from you reflected back, like what we, what we intend to do, I, that feels good. So thanks for that. Um, I, it sure. means it means a lot to our team that put a, they do put a ton of work into getting that data out. It, it, it does not happen automatically to move that much pictures and that much data to, to not just you, but all of our donors that are doing this as well. We provide this for everybody, but it comes from a place, um, you know, of, of our own experience of my own experience. When I first heard about the water crisis, it was from a gentleman named Titus, um, who had come over from, Kenya to talk to a room full of it was a room full of pastors where I was I was leading a church at the time up in Canada this was 16 years ago um, and he started talking about all the problems that they have in the, those communities hunger HIV/AIDS um, poverty I mean he went down the list of things like and I sat there and thought how am I going to possibly do anything about those problems I've heard about them all before they're huge my little contributions not going to have any impact I'm just going to feel guilty at the end of this guy's talk again. But as he spoke, it was something about the, this thick Kenyan accent, and he was speaking a million miles an hour because he knew he had five minutes. Um, so I kind of captured my attention and my imagination. And that's when he got to the point that whatever you wanted to do to make life better in the communities that he was serving, it had to start with access to clean water. And then he explained how approachable it was in terms of just the price, honestly, how much money it would cost. So it went from this big, huge number with all this complexity that I couldn't understand to serving one community and maybe just a couple of families in that community with my portion of the donation. Uh, but I could get my head around that. I can understand it. So I just had to be a part of it. Um, and naively, uh, he is at, he wanted to fund five water projects. I figured I'd like an, a background in internet marketing at the time, which at so 16 years ago, man, I was doing it for two years like everybody else. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so I had some means and I thought, well, I'll take, maybe we could do some and then I can get the church to do some. And I was like, so I ran up to this guy at the end of the, at the end of his talk. And I said, we'll take all five. And here's where your story, you know, kind of intersects with mine where, where they're very similar. In that moment, I thought he would just say, thank you. And I would write a check at some point and that would be it. That would be the end of the transaction of charity. He asked, I gave, he said, thank you. We were done because most charity tends to tended to be like that. Um, and you're not really sure what happens, but you trust that it does the right thing. But that wasn't what, that wasn't his reaction. He simply put his hand on my shoulder and said, you must come. And it was an invitation. And at the time, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I, 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 that was not my intent. I didn't intend to get to know Titus any better. I didn't intend to get this to know the work that much more. I just wanted the transaction. It's the best I understood about what charity was. But he knew better. And whether he really knew better, it was just one of these moments where kind of the universe does what it needs to do and, and, it, and it creates this relationship. But that invitation to come led me a couple of years later to actually go. And I'll never forget walking into his office in the middle of Kenya now, completely outside of my context of anything I knew. And he's wearing that same tweed jacket that he was wearing the night that he gave the talk. Um, and he smiled, huge smile across his face. And he said, I told you, you would come. And so at that point, we're just starting to build organization. So we had gotten some momentum and we were funding a few more water projects. And I, I wanted for people to experience what I experienced. I wanted to be able to create the invitation for people to, to get closer to the work that they were funding, just the way Titus had invited me to do that. And then a funny thing happened. 
we were, uh, we had gotten on the web at that point. So we were like on the Facebook, which had just come out and we had a, we had a website very, you know, crude back in, back in 2006. And this, this guy from Western Canada who was like looking for oil or something in, in Northern Kenya and had to, he had to make some donation to the government of Kenya to get this thing to happen. But anyway, he wanted to give us a bunch of money. It never happened, but that was, that was what he wanted to do. And on that first call, um, which was the first time anybody out of our little sphere had kind of reached out and said, Hey, we want to get involved, which was exciting. He said, so here's the thing. I'm going to tell you a story. He goes, I last Christmas wanted to get a chair, one of these gifts for my, for my grandkids and they have everything they want. We're, we're rich. We got everything we need. They don't need anything else. So I figured I'm going to go, I'll get one of those charity catalogs. I'm going to buy them some goats. I'm going to buy my, you know, in honor of my grandchildren, I'm going to buy goats for some poor farm, you know, in, in Africa. And he said, so I did. And I bought a lot of goats. That's what he said. And so he made a big investment, made a big donation. And he said, and then about six months later, he figured, well, I, I want to see the goats. And so he picks up the phone. He calls this charity that had advertised that they were going to buy goats with his money. And, and he said to the person that answered the phone, can you show me the goats? And he, and he said he heard an audible gasp on the other end of the line. Wow. Which I think we understand, like when we buy from those catalogs, that they're representative gifts, like the idea. But, but that wasn't the world he knew anymore. Like he was on Facebook. He was on the web. He knew he could be connected with lots of detail and pictures about real things and tangible things. So it was perfectly reasonable for him to say, show me the goats. And it kind of became a mantra for us at the water project from then on, even though we never ended up getting to work with him, we swore sort of an oath to ourselves and our donors. We're just going to show you the goats. Um, and so that meant for us from day one, uh, everything we see, you see, and we're going to, we're going to curate it in a way that makes sense to you. Right. But we're not going to delete anything. We're not going to be afraid of the data. We're not going to be a, afraid of failure or when we get things wrong, or if we have to go back three, four, five times to the same community to get it right. Because if we do that, we might actually begin to create a relationship with you as, as the person that's supporting our work, who's really truly sitting at the same table with the folks that are building the water projects and then the people that are getting clean water. And what a, what a great way to do charity. It moves it from that place of transaction, which is what I wanted originally. There's nothing wrong with that. But there was so much more to be involved. Like there was so much deeper of an experience than just writing a check and moving on. And we got to discover that because we started out as donors and we got to learn along the way like you have. And it was compelling. And we just, we wanted to know more. And so that's what we do. We're creating an invitation for every donor that comes to the, to, comes to the table with us. How much do you want to see? Because the end of that answer is whatever you want it to be. And we will help you get there. And, and I think you've seen some of that. And sometimes it might even feel overwhelming in terms of the information. But we'll pick up the phone, ask a question. We'll, love, we'll walk you through it. Uh, it's just kind of who we are. Um, and, it, and it hasn't been hard. Uh, in fact, it's, it's really easy. Like, you know truth, right? The truth is easy. Yeah. 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 It's, it's when you do seven different stories for seven different people, your life gets complex. But as a charity, tell one story. Just tell the truth. It's, it's a blast. It's really amazing, uh, and, and it's so true. And you know, there's not too many things in the world where you can write checks and truly see the results of it. You know, whatever that may be, uh, especially when it's people involved in the work that's going on. Um, so, I really encourage if uh, if you as our listener have not had the opportunity to just look around and see these photos and see these videos and see the impact. It's very moving. And it's interesting for, for me, uh, you know, I've been talking, Peter, a lot about in my podcast and to everyone who will listen about your journey in life. And we all, you know, I guess that's what wisdom is, as we get older and I can't say I have gray hair in my head, but I got a little on my beard now. <laughs> and, um, and I've started to realize over the years, wisdom, you know, you learn more, you reflect more, you've just lived more, you have more life experience. And then, you know, when you, when, you get to a point where you're trying to say, what does all this matter? What am I doing? You know, I've been speaking with a lot of people lately. I've been doing these one-on-ones where I've met with, you know, upwards of almost a hundred lawyers. Now uh, I do 30 minute zooms. It's been really mm -hmm. cool. And, and so many of us are at crossroads for various reasons, either starting off in law and not knowing which direction to go or having been in law for a long time and not sure whether to stay in it or switch or, you know, and with the pandemic raising a lot of right. different variables for people, good and bad, of, of decisions. And and 
one constant I find is that people are looking to be happy and to be satisfied. Mm-hmm. And what's going to get you there? Is it money? Is it time with your family? Uh, there's so many answers to that. Uh, but a constant I've started to see is relationships that truly day to day, week to week, month to month, your interaction with other people. If you're having positive interactions on a regular basis, I think you're going to feel joy and satisfaction. If you're constantly having negative interactions, that's a bad thing. And so it's important to develop relationships that you find to be valuable, that are that it's a given forth, that it's not a one-way relationship. And I heard you mention something uh, that I either uh, heard you speak on or lecture on where you talked about in dealing with donors, how you take them from a place of a transaction to a relationship. Mm -hmm. And that really struck a chord with me because as a lawyer, I'm always looking to move on from a transaction to a relationship. You know, my, the lifeline and the bloodline of, of, for many lawyers is referrals. And we rely on people to refer us cases. We refer cases to other. And it's one thing to have someone call me up and say, yeah, I was given your name by such and such lawyer. And, uh, and then you take the case and you go from there. It's a transaction. That lawyer provided a case to you. But then when I get to know that lawyer and get the lawyer involved and we talk and I thank for the referral and what do you do and let's catch up and let's meet, then the relationship builds. It builds into more business together. It could lead to other cases and back and forth. And there's just so much more to be had. And I feel that a lot of people don't go beyond that transaction to the relationship. And even in my adversarial uh, work life where I'm litigating against people, instead of a transaction, you know, I need this, give me that. You didn't respond to my demand or whatever it is. When I get to know my adversaries, hey, by the way, you know, you know, things are crazy and we make small talk and get to know each other. Things just get a lot better. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious of your take, whether it's with the people that you're assisting or working with in Africa, the, the donors, your colleagues at the Water Project of relationship building and what that means uh, to you in your world. Yeah, it's 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 the center of everything. And I'm, as, as you were talking, I was sitting and thinking of another word too, um, which I've been talking to some other sort of friends and colleagues about, which is that when we when we're in relationship with one another, when we move like from the email or the Slack or the even sometimes like video calls can can lack some of this. We recapture like when we get face to face, we recapture humanity. So and you so you mentioned being in an adversarial relationship, like in the courtroom, and you've got the judge and, and you've got the other side of the defense or um and it's it's it could be very transactional. It can be just about like litigating through the rules of how things are. But and you can really lose people's humanity in that, right? So the worst like it caricatures of, of lawyers we've seen really are that. Like if you pull the humanity out, that's the worst caricature of a lawyer. But the truth is you're human beings. And and if and if you just let that out, as you said, things smooth like all of a sudden, like magically almost things kind of get better because we recognize you're just a human trying to flour, you know, help your client to flourish. And on the other side of the case is someone that's trying to help their client to flourish. And justice is that you find a fair middle for that, right? Justice is that you say, Oh, we found a place where we both can flourish. And you we don't have to just take all we can from the other person. Um, so anyway, I think that's, you know, the humanity piece, I think is something we were all, we've all come face to face with during the pandemic because yeah. we've all had humanity stripped out of so many relationships. We can't meet face to face. We're on zoom all the time. Everything's happening on email and some relationships have been, have broken because of that. Cause we haven't had that, but in, but in our work, um, we kind of knew this before the, before the pandemic hit, um, because we recognized really like halfway through our journeys, like year seven or eight, we sat down to say like, what are our values as an organization? A lot of orgs will do this in the beginning and they'll kind of pick words and they'll stick them on the wall and they'll kind of work toward that. We did it a little differently in that we kind of looked in the rearview mirror and said, who are we? Um, And can we put some words on a wall? And it was like, it it just flowed right out of us, no pun intended, but um, it was relationship, reliability, and trust. And relationship was that first, that key, um, but it relationship is is fascinating if you think of it in terms of like uh, like a tense like time past present and future relationship sits in that magical middle of the present and it's always fleeting it's always in the moment and you always have to be nurturing it you can't it's not something you do and then you're done with that would be the past and it's not something you can just have good intention to do in the future you have to do it moment by moment and so 
when you're in relationship with one with a person, it's genuine. You know it. You can't fake it. Like we all know what really we're humans. We know what relationship is. But then you think about like, and I talked about this a little bit about our, our work and that we've discovered that reliability is what it's all about. Like water has to flow every single day. Reliability is, is a part of relationship as well. You know, like when you call on a friend, are they there? When you need something from a colleague, do they follow through? It, you know, is your word what, what you say it is? Like, do, do you do what you say you're going to do? Is that the kind of per character you are and the kind of person you are? And the beautiful thing about that is, and then the scary thing, is that it's the rearview mirror. Like it's the past. You know it. You can't fix it. People are just going to look and it's either there or it isn't. So you're either a reliable person or you aren't. If you're in relationship with someone, so that, like you're communicating day to day, um, if you put those two things together, then you get to do this amazing thing, which is trust. And that's the future. And so in our work, that's unbelievably, it's just so critical that we can trust one another because we need to take risks. We need to ask our teams and our partners to try new things, things that might not work out, things where they'll wonder, well, what happens if this goes wrong? What if we try this newfangled technology? It's a disaster. Are you going to hold that against us? But if we've been a reliable partner that's always been there, that's always had their best interest in mind, that that's we've proven that's our character and we're in relationship with them. So we're talking about this as humans face-to-face, one-on-one, you can do almost anything with that kind of trust. And that's, and we just live in those values. Um, and I think any of us can in, in any, in any you know, kind of work that we do. If you've proven yourself to be of a you know, high character and to follow through and, and you're the kind of personable person that's, man, you can ask somebody to do almost anything with you. I'll go with you all day long if, I, if I've seen the rearview mirror and, and we're in it in the day-to-day. You know, and maybe that's just like sort of, that's who we are as human beings. We, I think ultimately we want, we want to flourish and we want other people to flourish as well. I think that's just in our core of who we are and what we, and I think we just, what relationship does is it lets us revisit that every, every time we're, we have those conversations. We recognize, oh, that's, they're not my enemy. Um, you know, they're, they're not the adversary. We're just trying to get to something that's fair and just in the middle. Um, or we're just trying to, you know, do for our family what is best. And so are they. And so I can give a little bit in that scenario um, rather than get all the time. So, yeah, that's, I think that's where relationship sits for us. And then I, um, you had mentioned something else in the beginning of that, that I wanted to kind of touch on. Oh, like the, the journey part of it, right? This idea that life is this journey. Um, and I, I, I think we all come to a place and I think a lot of us have come to it all at once in the middle of, of COVID, maybe because we had some solitary time, you know, we had to lock ourselves away. You guys in New York city had it the worst. I mean, just getting locked in apartments. I, one of our, uh, Mike who works for us was locked in his apartment for six, six weeks, you know, and he said, I never want to go through that again. So he lives here now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but we, so we, we've all kind of had these epiphany moments in the last couple of years ago. What am I going to, what am I doing with my life? A lot of people have quit their jobs. A lot of people are thinking about or changing internally or like, what am I going to do next? And for me, part of the moment was obviously meeting Titus and hearing his story, like experiencing his humanity and understanding the struggles that, that young girls were dealing with, especially gathering water every day. That was, that was the light bulb. But as I was having that, as he was explaining that, the word picture that was in my head was, um, so we were, I, I said we were living in Canada. And it was the first time in my life that I had a well because I've been on city water my whole life. I actually grew up outside New York City. So the water always just came out of the tap from the city and we never thought about it. But here in Canada, we had a well in the backyard and we lived at the bottom of a hill. It was near a river. And I'll never forget. And it was like February and February in that part of Canada was like cold, cold. And but I heard I was outside in the backyard and I heard water running. And I thought that's not a good sign. Um, when you hear water running in the city in this in the middle of February, that's you just call somebody because that's bad. And so I kind of found the sound. It was underneath this box. I picked it up and it was the head of the well, the pipe sticking out of the ground, which again I had never seen before. Caked in ice, icicles hanging, like just big block of ice cube. So I chiseled it off, and underneath was a number, and it was a local number. So I called. And the person on the other end at the well company, you know, said, What's going on? I said, Well, I got this thing, it's water busting out the top. It must be broken. She she laughed at me. And she said, oh, honey, that's that's an artesian well. It just flows by itself. It's got so much water in it. I was like, okay, that's great. And later that spring when it thawed out, I did some more discovery and found out that in the normal part of the year, there's actually a pipe 
underground because so much water was in this well that it would flow into a drain and just drain off into the river, like a one inch pipe, just gushing water. And in the winter, there was so much water that the overflow it would overflow out of the overflow. And like that was the moment as Titus was explaining his story of the struggles they had in their community. When I put the, that picture together of like my life, you know, here in the West, those of us that have means just haven't struggled financially in life. I mean, honestly, when you think about it, it's just like overflow from the overflow. At what point is it just too much? Like, what am I going to do with all of that? It's, and there's, you feel that almost that responsibility. I mean, I think it is. It's a responsibility to do something with the overflow from the overflow. And so then that's where I found myself in the moment of Titus and that picture of the need. And then this picture in my head of like, you know, representation of kind of how I felt like life was sometimes that I just overflowed from overflow and resources. You put those two things together. And it was, that was responsibility. It was just, I had to act. I had to do something. And that was, that was my journey. That's not going to be everybody's journey, but I think we've all had those moments of going, wow, I'm just kind of sitting in some abundance here. I'm sitting in some extra. That's not all the time, but what do I do with that? You know, if, if it's time, if it's energy, if it's skill set, you know, it doesn't have to be that you're sitting on a big bank account to become a donor. Um, you know, we have board of directors and like, Finding lawyers who can help us, you know, navigate the legal things that we have to deal with in our work. You, you can do that for a local charity. I mean, that's another way to, to get involved and take maybe some overflow of, of your knowledge, right? And, and pour it into some other people. But recognizing that you've come to that place in your journey and like what you're going to do, um, it's pretty awesome. Uh, it can feel daunting, but like uh, you've discovered this, right? You, you, you had an article on a subway um, at yeah. that yeah. moment. It really is. I'm curious. I would imagine that. Um, well, how often have you traveled over towards uh, to these countries in Africa? For yeah, I've work? been a few. I've been a few times. Um, I don't go a lot because we have these teams on the ground that do this work for us, and like we trust them um, with everything, really. And we're in constant contact with them. Thank goodness for you know the kind of technology we have available today. It's no different than being on this chat with you. Um, but yeah, I've been over a couple times. And what what was it like the first time that you met? individuals who went from not having water, uh, who as a result of the work of your the foundation you started, uh, had had clean water. What was that yeah. like? Yeah. Um, it's, it, it wasn't what I expected at all. And I'll tell you a story about a girl um, that we met on the, it was, she was, she was standing on the side of the road as we were leaving this one spot. So we had been driving that. I remember, I'll never forget that day because just the experience in Kenya in this way is, is incredible. You don't get this when you go on tours. You got to know somebody who's going to drive you for eight hours down a dirt road and then like take a left at a rock. I don't even know how they know where they are. That's what we did. And so we, then we can't, it was just, just bone dry everywhere. Sand, you know, a, a bramble. And I thought we did, we found, we did water out here. Like, and wow, but this was our, again, second year. I didn't know much of anything. We turned the corner and there was this lush just outcropping of um, there were banana plants, which are those huge leafed plants that you see like sometimes in like in rainforest area. There was corn everywhere. There was kale growing up a hillside. And then we came a little bit further and there was just this reservoir, which was the, a fresh sand dam. You mentioned that earlier in the call that had been built and had trapped that for years rains. And they were just now soaking into the ground and it had created an oasis in the middle of this really desert area. And farmers were, the people were gathering water. And I was like, oh, those are kids gathering dirty water, just like in the pictures. And like, no, those kids are gathering water to plant the, to water the plants. Like they're not, they've got water, um, which was great. Cause it was like, you know, my expectation of the picture I saw was totally wrong. Um, and just, that's a great thing about charities. Be ready to be wrong. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a good learning experience. And so we got, we saw all that and we saw this flourishing that was happening. Cause I mean, you can't describe it any other way when you see that much green and, and, and food growing where it wasn't before. And people are genuinely happy about doing the work to grow the, and take care of each other. So we're getting ready to leave. We'd been there about an hour and, and Titus, I was with Titus. Titus was just, he could talk to anybody. And there was this girl standing on the side of the road with a green binder and he just chatted her up. Just, you know, hi, how are you? What are you doing here? And I think she was like 16 and she explained to Titus and he was telling us the story later because they were talking, speaking in their native language. And um, he said, that's Bridget. And Bridget is an AIDS orphan. Both her mother and her father died of AIDS and she was living with her grandparents. 
and her grandparents were also housing eight other orphans in their community. And Bridget was explaining to Titus how everything changed once water was available, because what had been a struggle for her, to t- for her grandparents just to take care of a couple orphans became an opportunity for them to take care of eight because there was now there was food, there was water, all the things that they were struggling with had been taken away. It's like immediately you go like your 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 horizon for what this work can do is expanded. But then the moment hit when he he said, well, what's this binder? What's this green binder you're holding? And she said, oh, this is my um, this is my ledger where I keep track of a business I started. I plant tree seedlings that I sell in the local market. So she was planting mangoes, I think. And then she would grow them and water them with the water that was provided by the sand dam that was in her community. And then she would bring these tree seedlings to the market and she'd make, she'd make a profit. And like, just stop there, full stop. Like, wow. that's, a, that's a great story. I mean, here's success. She's an HIV AIDS orphan. Like, the, it should have been the picture of disaster. And she's starting her own business. You know, grandparents are raising other orphans in the community because they can now afford to and they have food to feed them. And I like, I would have been okay there. Like I, there'd have been a plenty of joy. And Titus then asked the next question, well, what are you going to do with all that money, Bridget? <laughs> and Bridget doesn't skip a beat. Bridget says, well, I'm going to invest it back into the other orphans. What else would I do with it? And like, like the, like it was this one moment of intense joy and just like, I don't know, crushing humility. Is that a way to put it? Like here is Bridget who for the first time in her life, is experiencing a taste of abundance and of flourishing in the profit that she's making in her business. And her not skip a beat, just raw humanity of, I'm just going to help the next person that needs it. I don't know. I, I, I would, that was it. That was it. I was, that was, I'm doing water the rest of my life. Um, that's all it was going to take for me. Uh, it was because I think we all get to be Bridget. Like if we just get ourselves, get out of ourselves way um, long enough to recognize the humanity around us, to recognize that everybody's broken in some way, that it doesn't make me your savior because I helped you out. It doesn't make me responsible for you forever. Like we're in this together as humanity. Bridget understood that. Nobody had to teach that. Um, and what an, just what a miraculous picture of, of who we can be. And I think at the same moment, I realized I'm not sure I'm the, I'm not sure Bridget's the poor one here. When it comes to relationship and compassion and humility and, and work ethic, you know, she had every excuse not to work. And yet she's here starting her own business. And I left in that moment and, and thought, I don't, I don't think Bridget's the poor one here. It might be me. And I might have more to learn here than, than I do to give here. Um, and, and that that's relationship, right? Sure is wonderful story to share. Thank you for that. It's just, you know, when you strip down what we have around us on a regular basis and you, and you put in an environment like you just described where they're just happy to be able to be able to take care of more people and be self-sustaining just the simple things. And that's, you know, Water is seems to be such a simple thing. And the fact that we can help to bring it to those and make these changes is just, it's a phenomenal amount of work that you do. Um, so impressive because it's such a large scale and you're going across continents to get it done. Um, is there a common theme or thread that you find amongst your most engaged donors as far as personalities or types of people or professions that they're in or age group that they're in? We, you know, we try cause it's supposed to be better at like reaching them if we do that, but you know, it's, it's the gamut, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a kind of beautiful picture of humanity from young kids, like really young kids. One of our largest donors uh, early on was, was a, a young boy named um, Liam who had terminal cancer, ended up passing and raised money. Um, for the water project because he saw an opportunity to do good in the world. And Liam's legacy lives on today because, you know, he, something in him stirred that he wanted to do this, even in the midst of his own suffering and, the, and all the stuff that he was going through. Um, and their family remains, you know, connected to us today. Like uh, talk about relationship. We were really, really close to that wonderful, loving family all the way through to somebody on the other end, you know, that got to live a long, full life, you know, is in their eighties, nineties and, and are just experiencing philanthropy for the first time, you know, had some ab- abundance in their own life and, and are coming to the table and going, how can I help women? 
I just want to help women like me. Like I, I know they're hardworking and I know they're entrepreneurial and they've got this ridiculous obstacle of lack of water in their way. How can I fix that? Uh, you know, in my, in my eighties or not and even, you know, approaching nineties, like, how do I, how do I do it? Um, so some people discover that at six, some people at 86 and, and then every, everybody in between and all different kinds of um, professions. Here we've got folks that um, build luxury pools and they're like part of a, a guild that makes luxury pools for people that obviously have abundance because you don't make have a luxury pool unless you have some yeah. abundance. And they're pouring money into water projects because it's just a way for them to give back and to introduce that, you know, that to other people. Um, plumbers that are doing the same thing that know how important water is because who, you know, when do you know you need water? When it stops coming out of your pipe. Like that's when we all realize what the water crisis is. So plumber, you know, we got plumbers that do this. Um, but then school teachers and, and uh, you know, lots and lots of, you know, college kids that are trying to discover, can I do, you know, can I, can my life be about something, you know, not just about me. Um, but I do think it's the same discovery for everybody, as you mentioned, like coming to that place in your journey where you go, like, I know the world's broken. You don't have to convince me of that. Um, I know there's things that need fixing. Is Do I play a part in that in any way? Do it, Can I leave a legacy um, in some way with that? And, and can I do it in a way that I, that I know what I did? Cause it's not selfish to want to know. Because I think it satisfies the longing that we do carry with us to do something, um, to, to see the world flourish. And so if that means that getting to see pictures and getting to engage with it means that that gets satisfied, well, that's not selfish at all. That's just, that's just fulfilled. It's coming to contentment with what we're supposed to be doing, you know? Um, and I guess what I love too is people don't have, people don't change their whole lives to do this. They don't upend their whole careers. That's that, you know, some people got a guy that builds decks for crying out loud and, um, he didn't stop building decks. He just moved some of that money to, to do this kind of work. Um, it, no, no matter where you are, there's a place to fit. Yeah, you don't have to be a wealthy person to be a charitable and giving person. As you said earlier, you can give with sweat equity. Just call up and say, what can I do to help? I'll give you my time. It's a matter of, I think there's some statistic on your website of how much money is needed really to bring water to one person when you break it down is like in the 30s or something. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. you don't need to give more than $35, $40 or, or anything to, to make an impact and to see that impact. So I get a lot of satisfaction. I have to safely and smartly enjoy every moment of life. Um, but there's ways that you can help others uh, and feel good about it. And now that I've been practicing law for 26 years, I think it is. Um, I'm in this phase where I'm really getting a lot of satisfaction about sharing my knowledge and experience with other lawyers. One of the reasons I'm doing this podcast and all the lectures I do. And in that is sharing, you know, any fruits of those efforts uh, to help others. And so I'm happy to announce here on my podcast with you uh, to my listeners that uh, I am in the process of editing a book, my first book on how to litigate a personal injury case. And uh, we hope to be completed and have it out by the end of this year uh, for practitioners to use, for students to use, for whatever it may be. And 100% of the proceeds from the sale of the books uh, is going to go to the Water Project. And yeah. the, the idea yeah. is that I'm doing something to give back to other lawyers or law students to help them learn as they are in or enter the profession. And then in turn, they're getting a benefit by getting a book that can give them more knowledge and help them become a better attorney, better person. And then whatever money they spend on that is now going to go and end up bringing clean water to those who need it in sub-Saharan Africa. So for me, that that sequence of events and the fact that that can happen is just, it's so rewarding that I can't even, I just, it's very hard to put into words. Yeah. And then the idea is I have more books to come after that on trial skills, on other things. Things. And hopefully they, the books become successful. Maybe they'll get into law schools and who knows what, what, what will happen from here. But if they can continue to generate and be a legacy where it, it, all that can go to better the world, who would think a, a lawyer in New York could, you know, better the world a continent away and, and change people's lives just by giving back things that I've learned. So I don't know if that's selfish of me to no, I get joy out of it, but it's, um, it's just... It's really cool, and I feel very fortunate that just my my sweat equity is really can help raise all of this money without even having to write a check. You know, absolutely. Yep, 
I mean, that's what it's about. We pay it forward in whatever way we can. It's that sort of that cliche. You hear it. Well, you know, but it's just having a bit of an imagination for what that might look like for you, you know, as a person. And, and, you know, like you said, the invitation is to come and, and kind of dip your toe in um, and, and to see what it would be like. Uh, $34, you know, if you give to us, you want to give water to one person and just see what, see if that's where it's at for you. Understand that, you know, what it's like to, to hear back from a charity, you know, and if it's not us, by all means, you know, wherever you give, make sure you find out what's, what's happening with the money. Not because you don't trust, but because that's where the joy is. It's not selfish to say, well, what happened? Um, or what's going to happen? Because it's, that's why you got involved in the first place. Um, and, and how you bring, you know, as you said, all of that got poured into you. Um, and I know from your father, like it's, it comes down through the family and he passed all that on to you. And this is how you get to pass it forward. Um, that is what legacy is about. I mean, that's, that's how we, that's how we deal with some of this broken, messed up stuff that we've all seen around us come raging out in the last couple of years, um, is we just kind of, we do our part. Um, Peter, how do, how do you suggest someone who wants to dip their toe in and see what it's like? What's the best way to do that? You know, um, one, I'd love to see you come around our table with us, obviously. I, I think we, I think we have an, uh, an incredible experience as again, as deep as you want to go. Um, if you want to give and then just kind of quietly watch and see, by all means do that. If you want to, if you want to go big and, or maybe you want to do a fundraiser, you just want to get on the phone with us and understand the work in a deeper way. Let's do that. Um, you know, if, if you want to, if you're at a point in your life where you're going, I got to go bold, I got to go big, or I'm not going to do this, go bold and big, you know, do that. Uh, don't hold back. Um, we will, we will meet you wherever you want to come to the table and you don't have to know anything about this. Uh, we can explain everything all along the way as much as you're comfortable that and um look around what's happening in your neighborhood what's happening in your community that's local um where the relationship can be one-on-one -on -one. um you know somebody actually was a board member of mine and i think it's some advice that somebody gave to her that they said was life-changing for them was when you pass somebody on the street that's down and out just start by looking them in the eye that's it that nothing else just start there and i that's hard <laughs> like that's not easy. So you want a big challenge to think maybe start on that one. But, but what I mean in that is I think there's opportunities for us to, um, to get in carefully and depending on where you are in your journey, that may be the first step for you. And I'd take it, you know, don't wait to feel like you have to take this big, bold moment. Um, for other us, of us, we may need the big, bold thing to kind of shake us out of our place that we're in. So go big, go bold. Don't be afraid of that either. And then all of us, in our day to day, let's try to recapture some humanity of one another. So let's look each other in the eye. Um, and even when that may be painful, right? When we're seeing somebody that's having a, you know, at least it may spark some imagination in you. Um, maybe you don't know what to do with that person in front of you and that's okay, but it may spark some, in, you know, imagination in you to what can I do to make this world a little bit better? Um, it begins to plant those seeds. So again, yeah, it's like a spectrum. You know, like wherever you enter, come to the, just come to the table. And I just, whatever it is that you're, you know, you keep chewing on, that's like the excuse to not do it. Um, you're just putting off happiness. So if, if you're that, if that's your jam, if, if putting off contentment and joy is, you know, if that feels good to you, I suppose keep doing that. But if you're just waiting for what you're experiencing already, Andrew, which is the joy of being able to give and get involved in this. And, um, and it really is, I've heard you what three, four times that I can't really put it into words because you can't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you could, then you could sell it, but you can't, <laughs> you got to do it. Well, I want to, um, in addition to thanking you and the water project, I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to one of your value team members, Tess Crick. Yeah. Uh, Tess uh, was the first person uh, that connected with me uh, when I expressed interest to the water project. And to this day, she is my, my direct contact and uh, she's met with me. She's educated me. She's met my family and um, just a, a, a wonderful person. And when dealing with your organization um, and dealing with Tess, it just, she, she helped guide me and continues to uh, to learn and to enjoy the process of helping others. So a lot of thanks to Tess. And um, I want to wrap up by asking you a question. It is a question that I usually ask the lawyers who are guests on my podcast. Oh, good. A test. Uh, so it's a test. <laughs> An easy one, hopefully. The question that I normally ask lawyers at the end of each of my podcasts is, can you give me, please, your definition of what it means to be a great lawyer? 
And I've heard a lot of different uh, answers to that. For you, since you're not you're not an attorney, are you? Nope. Okay. I'm sure you're around them a lot. I like to but, play one on TV. But. Yeah. So maybe you'd be kind of to give me your definition of a great person. Uh, because you deal with a lot of people, you deal with donors, you deal with deal with colleagues, you deal with the recipients uh, of of the uh, of the charitable donations in the form of water in Africa, the people who you work with. So, Peter, what is your definition of a great person? You know, I I think we see it in almost every great story that we you know maybe we watch in movies and and the hero story or that we read. that there's a moment when you recognize that for someone else to flourish or to survive, you've got to lay down a portion or all of yourself for that to happen. And it's cliche because we all say, you know, to give your life for somebody else. Um, and it may, it may not, it, like it doesn't start there. You know, I don't know many heroes that start with that act. Like the hero grows over time, Iron Man's a great example, right? If you watch the Marvel series, my, my kids love the Marvel series. Iron Man starts out this unbelievably selfish, arrogant, you know, kind of jerk in the early, that's just focused on himself. And it takes the entire Marvel series, the arc of time. And I guess if I give away a spoiler, but like he, he ends up a good, really good guy, like lays it down. But there's a, there's a long journey in that. And so I think maybe what makes a good person is the willingness to, to just live into that journey. And so if you're Iron Man, like 1.0, it's like looking in the mirror and going, man, I gotta, there's some things that just, it does, this just doesn't make me happy. Living for myself every single day is just not cutting it. I'm not content. I can never find joy that lasts or happiness that lasts more than the next jet ski. Uh, you know, I, 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 I think there's something more to this. And then, like I said, taking that first step on that journey. Where can I lay down a little of myself? Um, and I think you'll find it's addictive because I think that's in the core of, you know, who we are as humans. I kept using the word flourishing. I think we find greater satisfaction, greater joy, greater contentment in doing things for others than we're ever going to find in doing things for ourselves. Now, maybe it may just start with your family. I think fathers get this, right? You always pour into our kids. We wouldn't think anything otherwise. Because there's enormous joy from that. And people around you that don't know that would go, man, you're giving up all your time, all your money, all your sanity, like <laughs> your sleep. And you go, I would, I would never do anything different. Like It's just a great example of a place where you've said, no, I'm actually going to step into that journey of laying myself down. It happens to be for family. But when you start to expand that horizon a little bit. So, yeah, it's, it's a long definition, I guess. But the willingness to, to live into the journey of setting yourself aside for others wherever you start, wherever you start. I think it's a great definition. And I like your term of laying yourself down for someone, uh, whoever it may be. And you could do it at any stage in your life, at any age, with or without the assistance of, of, of finances. Uh, you can always give of yourself to someone somehow. And, uh, and that can help you become a great person and uh, help you on your journey. Well, Peter, I thank you for taking the time uh, to my spend pleasure. with us here on my podcast. And uh, I know we'll stay in touch and look forward to future projects and um, keep up the great work that you do. I'll be Thank here you. and I'm hoping to bring some more people into the fold. And I, I look forward to see what the future has uh, for the water project and for all of us. Yeah. Thanks so much. You know, the, in, introducing us to other people is a huge gift in and of itself. So I appreciate you bringing us to your network of people and helping us to, you know, expand our reach a little bit. Thanks for your, your support and your family support and what I know is going to continue. It's been a, uh, it's done a lot of great things. You've seen it. Um, and so uh, thanks. And thanks for this time. It's a great chat. Good luck. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you all to listening to another episode of the Mentor ESQ podcast. I'm sure you enjoyed hearing from uh, Peter Chassie, uh, the founder and president of an amazing organization called The Water Project. To learn more, visit thewaterproject.org. You can go to my website, thementoresq.com, uh, and just look for the links for The Water Project for the Mentor ESQ's campaign for water, uh, and uh, reach out to me or Peter or anyone at The Water Project uh, with any questions. 
questions and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you on my next episode. Please uh, continue to uh, share my podcast with those who you think may enjoy it and have a great rest of your day. Bye.